All right. How you guys doing today? Woo, cool beans, awesome. Well, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and let you guys know, we have like a whole lot to cover, so we're gonna skip the pleasantries and just kinda dive right into it. Is that cool with you guys? Yeah, cool, I'm gonna do it anyway, so it doesn't really matter, but just nod your head approvingly. Um, and I am going to be honest with you guys right now too in saying that I am a little nervous about this today. Uh, I don't feel as prepared, uh, I don't feel like I, I have as much to say with this, uh, and like, you know, it was crammed together a short period of time. For those of you that may not know, uh, we spent the summer, um, we just finished a three-year-long study of the book of Luke, going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and uh, we finished that kind of in the springtime, and so we decided that before we move on kind of the, to the next book, the next chunk of scripture for us to dive in and, and look at piece by piece, that we would spend some time and just look at the question, who is God? And so we've been going through every week looking at one of the attributes of God. And um, last week, I knew that I was going to be speaking this week. I was talking with Gabe. I was listening to the sermon, and we were saying, like, oh, we, not, we need to make some changes. I don't know where this is going to go. Uh, even the thing up there, that's what I was supposed to talk about. <laughs> Who do you say the Son of Man is? We didn't. Uh, because that Sunday, as we were kind of praying and as we were looking through it, um, I felt called. I felt like God was telling me and looking and saying, we've spent the first like eight to ten weeks, I don't even know how long it was, uh, looking at these attributes that are kind of traditionally, at least in our head, attributed to God the Father, right? When we talk about God's justice and God's holiness and God's wrath, kind of the image that comes to our head at least is God as the Father. And then we spent a whole week last week where Gabe looked at God as the Son through Jesus Christ, but nowhere in this list uh, of attributes that we had talked about did we ever actually address God as the Holy Spirit. And so as I talked to Gabe and I said like, hey, I think, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Christian. Uh, so as we were talking about it and as I told this to Gabe, he was like, yeah, go for it, just do it. And then that's when I realized like, oh no, it's Wednesday, what am I gonna do? Um, so. I'm just, you know what, I'm just speaking through the Holy Spirit, that's what we're doing. But I know that as I say that even, and this is why I think it's important, that as I, I tell you guys that today we're talking about the Holy Spirit, already as I talk, I know that the room is kind of polarizing. Already, they're kind of creating these two camps of people, and at different points in my life, I have been in both of those camps. I know that on one side, there's one camp over here, that when you hear people talk about the Holy Spirit, or dare I say the gifts of the Holy Spirit, ugh, that there are people that immediately get defensive, that immediately start putting walls up, they get scared, uh, maybe even a little angry. I, like I said, I know that I've been there where I've heard a pastor say it, and immediately the thought that comes to my head is like, oh no, what is this guy going to start talking about? Is he going to come up with like a bottle of oil and start like talking about crazy laying people out in the spirit or something? Like I need to know right now if someone is going to try and touch me because Benny, I'll push back. Like I'm not going to the ground. It's not happening. And I've been in that place before and, and I've seen it. And, and then there's another kind of group of people, this camp over here, they get amped up, right? They get excited. Uh, they get this kind of like righteous indignation about them. They hop up on their Holy Spirit soapbox at that point. And I've been at that place too. It's like, yeah, that's right. Let's do it. I'm all for it. You've tried to quench the spirit. You can't put God in a box, man. Like, let's go for it. Like, it's like we've been bottling up our weird for so long that we're just waiting for someone to like let the release valve out a little bit so it can come out. Um, and so just to talk a little bit, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but a little bit about 
my church background. Um, I don't know that you could say so much that I was raised in the church, but I was absolutely definitely raised around the church. Uh, and what I mean by that is when I was like five or six years old, I prayed the kind of, you know, the, the Jesus prayer to come into my heart. So I don't want to go to hell, like that kind of thing. Um, and so my mom was very proud of me, and so I wanted to make her happy, and so that Mother's Day, I was baptized. We were members at the time uh, of the second largest church in all of Texas. We were just barely beat out by Joel Osteen's church, Lakewood, um, but just as kind of like a size comparison, the church that I went to also had a full-size basketball court, and it didn't also function as the sanctuary. Um, so I, I think we had like our largest baptismal service a couple weeks ago where it was like 10 people. I was baptized with about 75 other kids. It was just for children at that point. So I was raised around this kind of like seeker service, like attractional televangelist style church. You can compare that to the fact that uh, also when I would visit my dad over the summer, uh, we would go to my grandmother's church, my Mimi's church. And she went to a very like rigid conservative. It was a Church of Christ church. Uh, there were about 15 members. They were all a million years old. And one of the things that stands out the most about them is that they did not believe that musical instruments were appropriate for worship. So my grandmother, I know, is having a heart attack knowing that I am preaching the gospel next to a guitar. Uh, that's, just, that's just who they were. Uh, you can compare that even to my grandfather on my stepdad's side was an Episcopal priest. So every major holiday, we would go and we would visit him, and he'd have the long white robes, and we referred to him as Father Don, and even though it's like, I'm your grandkid, I would go up to like receive the communion, and he'd look at me and say, Richard, the body of Christ, the blood of heaven, and he would hand it to me, and they were all exactly the same over and over the same sermon. Compare that to as I was a little bit older and I could kind of pick the church that I wanted to go to. Uh, Laura and I were dating at this time. We were part of a little non-denominational church plant in Cleveland that was actually connected to a metal venue. And when I say metal, I mean like heavy metal music. So like once or twice a month, every once in a while, uh, we would have church-sponsored heavy metal shows where I would listen to these terrifyingly large bearded men. Imagine Gabe with tattoo sleeves and ear gauges, like screaming into a microphone. And then afterwards, Laura and I would bring the band lasagna and we'd pray with them. It was the weirdest and coolest moment of my entire life. And then you can compare all of that even to my uncle on my mom's side was a Pentecostal missionary. So he was a missionary for the United Pentecostal Church. He spent almost my entire life church planting in a remote chain of islands off the coast of Southeast Asia called Vanuatu. Look it up, it's a real place. And for two months out of the year to maintain his citizenship, he would come back to the States and he would do like a fundraising tour. So he would talk to these little Pentecostal churches all over uh, the United States to tell them what he was doing and like help raise money for the next year. Uh, and so once or twice a year, you know, whenever he was in town and close, we would go and we would visit him as he preached in these little Pentecostal churches. And I kid you not, they would bring boxes of tambourines up to the front. And while he was talking, they would do laps around the sanctuary. So all that to say that my church background is varied would be an understatement. Uh, I have seen a lot <laughs> in a lot of different ways. And uh, that's just what I understood. And, and even growing up, even as a kid, looking at these churches, I could see that the main difference, the main thing that separated all of these, I don't even know if you would call them denominations, but just like schools of thought when it came to church, these styles of church, was how they deal with the Holy Spirit. The way that we see and view and approach the Holy Spirit affects the rest of how we interact with church. And because of that, it makes it really interesting 
to see how often and widely it is ignored, it is abused, and it is misunderstood. A couple weeks ago, I spoke here on grace. We talked about the grace of God, and one of the things I mentioned is that oftentimes for you guys, it's very difficult. We, you know, stand you in front of a, a fire hose with a Dixie cup. We say, don't spill anything. Well, you know, get ready. <laughs> it's not going to get any better today. Um, but we also, I talked about how a lot of times we come into two major pitfalls. We make assumptions. We, we feel like we know already what the person's going to say, right? And then based off those assumptions, we make criticisms. We are running all of the scripture and all of the other pastors who've heard in our head, all of our experiences, and we put up these walls and we say like, nope, that's not what I, I think. That's not my projection of who God is. And so I'm shutting you out, man. And I would encourage you today, with something that is so controversial, with something that is so widely debated in so many different views, I would challenge you today to pray to the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you today where necessary, to allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and your heart where necessary, to let God be God. Maybe you've been putting him in a box, maybe not. But whatever your assumptions and whatever you've projected on God, I would challenge you to challenge them today. Um, Laura and I have a rule. We do not agree on everything always, and that's okay. Um, But whenever we come to an idea about God or an interpretation of a verse or whatever it may be, kind of the rule that we have with each other is, okay, you have an opinion. If at some point in your walk with God, if that opinion comes into direct conflict with the nature of God, Do you change your opinion or do you change your God? Today, everyone here has an opinion about what I'm going to talk about. If at some point you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you and your opinion comes in direct conflict with the nature of God, are you going to change your opinion or are you going to change your God? And that's what I would challenge you guys today, even before we start. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is the Holy Spirit important? right? Why is this so highly debated? Why is it so controversial? Why do we care so much? And the first reason why the Holy Spirit is important is because he is literally God, like literally actually God. He is part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are one. Uh, And so a word to the wise today too. I'm going to tell you that Um, normally the way that we like to preach is we'll take like one big chunk of text and we'll try and work through it. And so I could tell you guys like, turn with me in your Bibles to right? And you guys could be there and just work through it verse by verse. There was, there's really, there was honestly, there was no way for me to do that today. Uh, there is so much here and there's not like one place where we can find it all. And so I'm going to be jumping around a lot. I hope you guys are okay with that. A couple of the verses are going to be on the screen. If you are note takers, here is the pro tip that I would give you guys. I'll make sure that I enunciate where we are in the text, write it down, and then visit it later. Go back to it. Let this sit for a while. Uh, If you need more time to reread something, what was that he said? What did he say about this? Look through your notes and just go jump to the verse yourself. But if you want to catch up and try and follow along, great, cool. I I challenge you. We'll we'll see if we can do it. We'll try and outspeed each other. Um, So, I almost fell. I'm not used to this stage yet. I almost fell off of it. Um, The Holy Spirit is literally God, and we can see that from the very beginning. If you go to Genesis 1, verse 1, like the first page in your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God 
was hovering over the face of the water. So right there from the beginning, like the first couple sentences already, we see the presence and the essence of God defined as his spirit. The spirit of God is literally the first way we are introduced to God in the Bible. The Hebrew word that is used for spirit is ruach. It means breath or spirit. They're kind of synonymous with each other. It is that energy. It is that flow. It is that force. It's uh, kind of the picture of if you all were to take a deep breath, just... That feeling that comes from that breath is spirit. And that is what we see hovering over the face of the void and literally speaking creation into life at this point. We see this echoed again in chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the spirit of life, that ruach, and the man became a living creature. And so already from the beginning when creation, we see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God being introduced to us, showing us that he is literally God. Too often times when we hear the Holy Spirit, it's one of those things like knowing and knowing are two different things. You guys know what I mean when I say that? Like you can know something, but it can be head knowledge, but it's not quite heart knowledge. I think a lot of times when we hear Holy Spirit, there's the head knowledge of like, oh yeah, it's the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Been there, done that, you know, got the t-shirt. But the heart knowledge that we have of the Holy Spirit is it almost feels like it's a secondary force, you know? Like it's, it's a service that was offered to us by Jesus, right? Like Jesus left and then he gave us this like cool app that we could download and it's called the Holy Spirit and I can use it for stuff. But we see that the Holy Spirit is all throughout the Old Testament speaking through people and, and making his power known. Um, in Exodus 31, is the first chance, the first man that we see is a guy named Bezalel, who's described as being filled with the Spirit of God. He was an artist, so shout out to my creatives in the room. In Numbers 27, Joshua is referred to as a man in whom is the Spirit. Throughout Judges, we see a man named Othniel, we see Gideon, we see Samson, all of which are described as having the Spirit of God upon them. Right, so these people that were chosen by God, they have his spirit choosing to come down from heaven and to enter them or to interact with them in some way all throughout the Old Testament. We also see it with the prophets. We see it with Ezekiel and with Isaiah especially, how the spirit of God spoke to them or the spirit of God entered them to speak. Not least of which I think is Isaiah 61. I'm going to read that real quick. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Isaiah 61.1, if you guys are writing down. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. Now, maybe that sounds a little familiar to you. It's because that is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. It's how he announced to his people that the Messiah had come as him and that he was ready to start his ministry. And so even Jesus, as the Son of God, chooses to announce to his people that he is God, that he is the Chosen One, that he is the Messiah, by referring to the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, right? So all throughout the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God manifesting itself, looking through people, interacting on their behalf. And now I know that I'm going really fast at this point, okay? Uh, Already we're like 10 minutes in. I'm looking at the board, 15 minutes in, and I've read like six or seven scriptures already. Uh, And I don't mean to gloss over things. I don't mean to go fast. But what I'm trying to do is show and prove without a shadow of a fact that the Holy Spirit is 100% God. We must, before we go anywhere else with this, be on the same page with that, right? That is foundation. The Holy Spirit is God. God is the Holy Spirit. They are synonymous 
And if he is a part of the Godhead, if the Holy Spirit is 100% God, then that makes him of equal importance to Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is no hierarchy in the Trinity. When we think Holy Spirit, that is of the same importance as Jesus Christ. And that feels weird to say, doesn't it? It feels weird for me to say right now that anything is as important as Jesus. But that's what we see in Scripture, and we have to come to that conclusion that this is God. And if he is, like if we are a Christian, we must contend with this. We must deliver the same amount of respect, of reverence, of adoration, and most importantly, intentionality to the Holy Spirit as we do Jesus. I would go as far to say that we cannot worship Jesus fully or truly without worshiping the Holy Spirit as well. And I know at this point, um, oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Another place that we can look, as if we needed any more evidence, right? We've seen it all throughout the Old Testament, but what about in the New Testament, where we generally kind of think of the Holy Spirit? And that's John 16, chapter 7. John 16, chapter 7. This is Jesus talking. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, uh, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So here we have Jesus himself, right? We have the Son of God. He's, in this verse, what he's done is he's just talked to his disciples. He's told them that he's about to go and die, right? He's kind of predicted his death once again and has let them in on what is about to happen when they get to Jerusalem, that he's going to be delivered into the hands of the Pharisees. He's going to be crucified, and the third day he's going to rise again. And they are processing this. They are dealing with this. Some of them are angry. Some of them are scared. Most of them are confused, right? So the disciples are looking at Jesus, and, and they're saying to him, like, we thought you were it. Like, we thought you were the Messiah. We thought that you were going to reestablish the kingdom. Like, now you're saying you're going to go and that we can't follow you. Where you go, we can't follow. Like, what could possibly be good about that? Like, what is it that you are doing? Why can't you just stay here? And Jesus is responding to them and is saying, it is to your benefit that I go. Like, dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. It's a good thing that I go. And I think what the most interesting part of that is what he says. He doesn't in this verse mention like, hey, it's to your benefit that I go because if I go, it means that I'm going to die on the cross for your sins and that grace is going to be extended to you and you're going to be reconciled to God. Isn't that cool? Instead, what he says is, no, 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 I have to go because if I go, it means that I'm going to be glorified and I can unleash the Holy Spirit onto all of you. That no longer is it going to have to be this like, prophet thing, the judges of Israel, like working in individuals throughout the Old Testament, but that I get to open the doors and the floodgates open and the Holy Spirit will reside in all of you, and that is good. Like, it is better that I leave, because right now you're getting like this much. If I go, then you get this much. So even what Jesus himself is telling us, it's better for him to leave so that we now have the Holy Spirit available to us giving adoration, giving respect, giving that anticipation and urgency, uh, even as he's going to the cross. And I don't want anything that I'm saying to feel as if it is degrading the cross at all. We know, I mean, hopefully that's not what you guys hear me saying at this point. Like, we know that Jesus is essential. His work on the cross is it. Like, that gives us salvation. Jesus must be worshiped. He commands that we see him as Lord and as Savior, and that is paramount. 
And so now might be a good time to just, you know, say it here too, because I know that we're kind of all thinking it. We know that this gets abused. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit as God, and I'm not suggesting that we swing the pendulum to the other way, to this like hyper-spiritualization of things. And and all of us immediately have seen the YouTube videos, and I'm sure all of us are chuckling because we all have a favorite. I know that I do. I could talk about it. Ask me afterwards. Probably not appropriate up here, right? We've all seen that. We know that. My wife saw a chiropractor a few years ago who literally tried to sell her Holy Spirit-infused shampoo. I don't know what that is, and it's confusing to me because his hair wasn't even that great. So I I don't know if he wasn't using it or or what the problem was, but we, we all know what that is. In the same way that we cannot worship Jesus fully without worship of the Holy Spirit, if we attempt to worship the Holy Spirit without grounding it in the teachings and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it becomes dangerous and false. We are in danger at that point of feeling as if we've received some sort of revelation that goes against what Jesus has said, right? That the Godhead is one, so the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you something that directly goes against what Jesus has said. The Holy Spirit is not against the Son. They are the same. And so we have to be careful. We, we know that there is abuse. And I don't feel like I have to spend a lot of time on that because I feel like especially in our context, we are incredibly sensitive to it, am I right? We know when we see showmanship. We know when we're being manipulated. We know when we're trying to be sold something. Basically what I'm telling you is that if it looks like a duck, it smells like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, right? We get it. We have to always be looking Uh, for abuse in that sense as well. So I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting, though, is that in our attempt not to abuse or to misrepresent the Holy Spirit, the answer cannot be that we ignore it. Um, The best analogy that I can come up with is, that's my wife. Wife, raise your hand. Yay, everyone look at Laura. She's so cute, right? Um, ah, She's a mom. I have a daughter. Her name is Beatrice, and I love watching Laura with our daughter. She is an amazing mother. Uh, The amount of intention that she has, uh, she's crying, oh look at her. Uh, The amount of joy that she gets when she's holding our daughter, when she's playing with our daughter, uh, I I love seeing her. Uh, The amount of responsibility, I feel like our daughter would be naked and hungry 100% of the time if it were not her. She is an amazing mom. But imagine for a moment if that was the only way that I addressed her. Imagine for a moment if the only compliments I ever gave her dealt strictly with how good of a mom she is. Imagine if I introduced all of you to her as B's mom. Hey guys, this is Laura. This is B's mom. She's really cool. If the only thing I talked to about her was about how she's a mom, if the only conversations we had were about B and about her motherhood and how good she was at that and what do you need as a mom and how can I help you in your motherhood, just imagine that. If I never once addressed her as my best friend, as my lover, as my partner, as my wife, as a professional, as any of the other aspects of her identity that she has. Imagine if I only focused on one. Even though those are all true things, she is an amazing mom. You would imagine my relationship's probably going to suffer, right? It's bound to. I'm cutting myself off from so much of who Laura is because I'm choosing only to experience her in one very small, limited way. In the same way, When we narrow our view of God through only one of his attributes, or only through one aspect of the Godhead, our relationship with him is going to suffer. Jesus is paramount. We know that. Jesus is vital. We know that. But in the same way that Laura is also an excellent mom, 
the truth of that does not negate the fact that there is more to him. We have God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and if we only view God through a very limited context, we are missing so much of our relationship with him, and it will suffer. It is bound to. Does that make sense? Does that set in? Does that track with you guys? Which leads me next to the next part. Why is the Holy Spirit important? Because he is residing in you and is he interacting with you as we speak, right now. This is one of the verses that I think we actually have on the board, Acts 2.37. Hey, look at that. It's there. Cool. If you want to turn there, if you want to just write it down, uh, I've always called this karaoke church, right? We can do that too. But Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So what's just happened here is this is that kind of famous Holy Spirit verse where there was a rushing wind and cloven tongues of fire. Uh, this is Pentecost. They're in the upper room. They begin to speak in tongues. And people are having different feelings about this. Some of them are obviously very excited. They've seen that the power of God has just shown himself to them. The helper that Jesus has talked about has come. And so they're prophesying and they're speaking in tongues and, and exalting God. And they're super excited about it. Other people are, rightly so, a little afraid. Some of them are mocking them and are angry. Does this sound familiar, right? Saying these guys are drunk. And so Peter stands up and he says, listen, let me help to frame what's happening here. Let me help explain this a little bit. And he goes back into scripture. He looks at Joel. He talks about uh, the teachings of Jesus. He preaches Jesus as the son of God. He, he really, he gives the very first New Testament sermon at this point. And so the way that people are responding to it as they hear it is just this, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What Peter is telling us is that when we accept Jesus, by extension, we are accepting the Holy Spirit. So, you guys have the Holy Spirit in you right now. And I know some of you may be like, hey, I didn't ask for that. Too bad. I didn't make the rules. You've got it. If you are a believer here today, if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you understand and you see Jesus as God, by extension, what Peter is saying is the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. You've got it. It's working in you right now. The question is only how much will you allow it? What Jesus did on the cross extended grace and it covered our sins. That reconciles us back to God. And the manifestation of that transaction, the way that that shows itself, is that the very essence and spirit of God is now living in us. Uh, this reminds me of the verse, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, right? Like, that's what this is talking about. And like, let that sink in for a second, right? You've accepted Jesus, you've done this thing, right? You've understood this truth that has hit you, like a shot to the chest, and now the way that that has shown itself is that the living God resides in you, changing you, giving you righteousness. You are a new creation. God is in you, always and forever. Whoa! This 
changes everything. So why is this so weird for us to think about? Where do the arguments come from? Where does the controversy or the misunderstanding and the abuse come from at that point? And I think that a lot of the problem is this. That here in the Bible Belt, and I think especially in kind of a college context, uh, we are afraid of being wrong. Has anyone else felt that? That like, here as I'm developing my own belief system and as I'm like kind of stepping away from where my parents are, uh, I don't want to be wrong about anything. I want to make sure that I've got this right. I've seen where maybe my parents are wrong. I want to change that. I don't want to make the same mistakes they did. I want to actually know this thing. And so when we come across something then that we don't understand, we have that fear of being wrong, that fear of misrepresenting it, and so we tend to kind of put it on a shelf over here. Uh, Maybe another example, and I'm not going to get into this, it's just an example, so like just don't freak out, but just as another example, think about like the book of Revelation. How many pastors do you hear coming up and saying like, well today I figured we'd mix it up, do something fun, let's talk about Revelation. Doesn't happen. Because it's a confusing passage that's usually, when we think about it, it's preached by a bunch of nutsos, right? Like, it's, there's no, like, easy way to do it that sounds good. And so, like, a lot of times, like, even as we're reading it, we're like, you know what? Romans is a lot easier. Maybe I'll just focus on that one, and I'll get to Revelation later. The same thing applies to the Holy Spirit. And when it's confusing, when it's controversial, when we don't know if we're going to be right or not, we take it and we put it on a shelf and hope that I'll get it later, right? And the problem is, is that with something like the Holy Spirit, an actual part of the Godhead, like literally God, our relationship with God, we don't get to just put him on a shelf. He is there. Look at John chapter 37 through 39. I think there's another one that might be coming up. Question mark? Cool. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The problem is that if we put it over there and we try and deal with it later, what we are saying is I'm going to put God over there, and I'm going to deal with him later. It is no wonder why all of us are exhausted. I know that's not just me that feels that. It's no wonder why so many times we feel like even though we believe, our prayers aren't being heard. Like we don't know how to hear the voice of God. Like we feel like somehow we've moved farther away from him like we're just going through the motions, like there's this heavy burden on us and I'm trying as hard as I can to like do this whole church thing, but in the end it just feels like I'm spinning my wheels and not going anywhere and I feel isolated and I feel alone and I feel tired and I don't wanna do it anymore, but I don't think that that's an option and I'm just looking around and I don't feel like I'm actually doing anything. It's like, God, I believe in you, but is this honestly all there is? Am I the only person that has felt that before? And I want to be honest with you guys. I hope that you can be honest with yourself that when we take the Holy Spirit and we put it on a shelf and we say, I'll deal with God later, 
We have separated ourselves from the thing that revitalizes us. We have separated from ourselves from, as Jesus said, if all who are thirsty come to me and let them drink and I will give you rivers of flowing water, that the spirit that resides in us, you guys have heard that verse out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what this is talking about. Literally the spirit of God rushing forth from us. What would happen if we dropped our walls What would happen today, my kind of challenge to you guys, is what would it look like if we were to get over that fear, if we were to accept the fact that I don't need to deal with God later, I need to deal with him now, and even in our insecurity, and even in our fear, even in our misunderstanding, if we just let God be God and said, Holy Spirit, I don't know what you are, but whatever you are, I want it. What would that even look like? Which brings me to my next point. What does the Holy Spirit do? What does he look like? And with this, I know this is also another time where, you know, we, we could very easily go into the whole, like, gift thing. Um, we could talk today and, and address, like, what does the Spirit do? Well, that's an excellent question, and go into prophecy and tongues and healings and words and, you know, listening prayer and to those ideas. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not going to do that, mostly because, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I thought I did. There was a time when I would have like gone off for hours and been like, oh yeah, here is the answer. And then it turns out that I have no idea that it didn't really go so well for me, thinking that I had all the answers. And so now I'm in the same place that you guys are, maybe even behind where you guys are. I'm still processing a lot of that myself. I don't want to give you something that I don't have. And so I'm not going to focus on those things. I'm not going to read them. I encourage you to look out and to read them for yourself. What I, what I do have what I do feel like I have an understanding of, what I see in Scripture and what I know of God, that I will give to you. And that's that regardless as to whether or not you believe in praying in tongues, I absolutely believe that if you are actively worshiping the Holy Spirit, it will change the way that you pray. That regardless of whether or not you believe in prophecy or you believe in healings, if you are worshiping the Holy Spirit, if you have rivers of living water flowing through you and you are actively engaging in the Holy Spirit and have a relationship with God, it will change the way that you interact with others and the way that you talk about God. That is irrefutable. It will happen. The Spirit energizes us. It is not a boring place to be. And so the one thing I can say that the Spirit does the one kind of attribute, action of the Holy Spirit that I can actually say is that when I look at Scripture, I see that when the Holy Spirit shows up, it is followed by something active. It is followed by action. Follow with me really quick. If you want to, uh, we're going to do like kind of a Bible drill thing. Like everyone turn with me to the book of Acts. If you want to write them down, that's fine too. We're just going to go through, like, the whole book of Acts really quick. You guys ready? All right, gearing up. Do some stretches, whatever you got to do. You ready? Start in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. When you got to shout glory. Hey, there we go. Someone's glorified. All right, excellent. Double heaven for you. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now with me, jump a couple chapters over to chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Hey, (laughs) double heaven for you, excellent. 
And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers and, uh, of the people and elders, and he goes into another, like these New Testament sermons. If you go down to verse 13, it says that when they saw his boldness, jump with me now to verse 31. Hey, there we go. It's like Oprah, you get heaven, you get heaven. Uh, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Turn with me now all the way to Acts chapter 10. I told you guys our arms are going to get tired. It's going to be flipping. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46. You're kind of right there towards the end. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were, what were they doing? They were hearing them and speaking in tongues and extolling God. Acts 14, verse 3. You guys are getting good at this. Glory. Oh, someone's already there. You better hurry up, everybody else. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the words of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Look at that. We just read one, two, three, four, five verses all throughout Acts, and there are numerous other times where all that's happening here is that people are being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the next thing that happens is they begin to speak and they begin to act. The word that is often used to describe those actions is ones of boldness. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God begins to divinely inspire them to act on his behalf. This connects to what we see in Matthew chapter 10. You don't have to turn there, that's a lot of turning. But when they deliver you over, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who will speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This pattern of when we are filled with the spirit, we are divinely inspired to act on his behalf, often with boldness, that that is the word, that we are emboldened by the spirit. And that word boldness may have a negative connotation. As I was going over this with Laura, she's like, could you pick another word? And I was like, I'm sorry. I mean, it's the one that's in there. But boldness, uh, I know that kind of the picture that comes with me, I, I can see it as like the guy in the pleated slacks and the tucked in shirt. He's got the very thick leather bound Bible with the gold leaf pages and he sits outside of a Starbucks looking for the sinners and he's like, you there, you don't know the spirit, Bible bash, Ugh, and gets him in the back of the head or something, right? He's a really good arguer, he's bold. It's basically a nice way of saying he's a jerk for Jesus, right? That's not what I'm saying. Maybe a better way of suggesting this uh, is that they are excited in the spirit, that they are energized in the Spirit, that when the Spirit fills us, that it, we can't help, we overflow. There are rivers of living water that come from us, that literally the active presence of God that resides in you is seeping through your pores. You can't help but to share that with others. It is exciting, it is active, it is moving. And so when we feel as if our prayers are not being answered, when we feel as if our actions are not doing anything, when we feel like we are isolated from our God, when we feel tired, 
when you feel like you've been working and spinning your wheels over and over again and like nothing is actually happening, I would challenge you guys, do you have rivers of living water flowing through you? Is the Spirit of God active in your life, emboldening you, energizing you, activating you in Him to act on His behalf? If not, I would ask you, what does your worship life look like? Have you been so in love with God, but also so naive and looking at him through this very limited lens and cutting yourself off, actually putting God on a dusty shelf and saying, I'll deal with him later? Or do we have, as as Jesus said, thirsty, come to me and you will drink these rivers of living water, this life, the spirit, the essence, the presence of God flowing and moving in us. When I have challenge here, I just wrote down a whole bunch of questions. We are going to do communion now, right? Band's going to come back up. We're going to play. The time, what we kind of call this is that this is our response time, right? Maybe you have heard that. I know that we've talked about it um, before, like on the outside of things. Like, yeah, then we'll have a time of response. Like, that's literally what this time is. We're here to worship. We're here to take communion, to remember the promise that Jesus has given to us. And as we've talked about the Holy Spirit, and as we've given you guys these challenge, maybe you have felt God speaking to you as you are. Maybe you felt something move. Maybe you felt something stir. Maybe you felt uncomfortable in some way. Um, Perhaps you are in this place today, and you are tired. You feel isolated. You feel as if you want to believe, but Everyone else around you is saying, you know, God told them this and God told them that and there are all these people that are, seem to be reading their Bibles like literally nonstop, like they read the whole Old Testament in a week and it's like, I can't do, like I'm just, I'm, ty- I'm trying, but I don't even know how to get there. I don't even know where to start. I love you, God, but I, it's, I'm having a hard time feeling like you love me back, right? I have a hard time in feeling like I'm not just talking to the air. I know that you're there here. I, I need to know it here and I would challenge you today, what would it look like for you to allow the Spirit of God to live inside of you? What would it look like to be emboldened on his behalf? Would it look like something with worship? Would it look like getting rid of fear in some way? Would it look like, you know, taking your hands out of your pockets or something? Would it look like changing things with your family? Is there a person that you kind of feel in your mind and in your heart right now stirring? Someone that you have been afraid to deepen your relationship with them or be intentional with God. A person in your life that you've kind of just given up on maybe. God's not answering me with this person. I've seen no change and so you feel a little defeated. Would it look like forgiveness? Forgiving yourself, right? Some reoccurring sin that you have shame for. You've been beaten down so many times you're even wondering if you're still a Christian anymore, right? Could it be possible that God still loves me if I mess up day after day after day? Forgiveness of a person. I heard it the other day and it kind of hit me really hard. Uh, Would you rather be justified or would you rather be free? Is there something that we've been holding on to and to be emboldened in the spirit would look like being emboldened to actually forgive someone knowing that that person is not going to receive it, is not going to change. But you'd rather be free than justified in that. I challenge you guys to ask yourselves those questions. As we pray, literally use this time for what it's used for, to respond. Respond to the gospel. Respond to God. Take communion. Remember what Jesus has done. 
not even ending in the cross, but continuing even now in the Holy Spirit. Bow your heads if you guys will pray with me. Dear God, thank you for you. If that was it, then we'd be good. Creation is enough. Salvation is enough. But you are a God who gives what we do not deserve and who continues to give abundantly and you have poured out yourself onto us. You have done great things in us and you will continue to do great things in us and I pray, God, that we would be emboldened for you, that we would feel you we would be revitalized in you, God. I pray that you would convict us at a hard level, and not just conviction in terms of our sin, which you know and you share with us, but convict us in terms of just our relationship, God, in our doubt, in our lethargy, God. Wake us up to you. Don't let us go any longer putting you on a shelf and ignoring you. God, I pray that, that we know that where two or more are gathered, that you are in the midst of them, that your spirit is here already. We've seen that. We know that, God. I pray that you would wake me up and you would knock down the doors, that I would feel that, God. Show me something different. Show me something more. Like Moses said, show me your glory. I pray that we would all see that. We would all feel that as we go into a time of communion, God, that you would respond to all of us as we respond to you. It is in your holy and precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen.